0: You know, most of you know that when I was about 20, I left, I left home. And mainly that was because I went in the culture I grew up in my family. Um, One of the things my parents said over and over by the time you're 18, We want you to leave the house. By the time you're 18, you should be able to live on your own. So I grew up with that. And so I left the house when I was 20, basically a sophomore in college. And what I had to learn is I had to work full time because I had to pay for my college tuition. I had to pay for my uh, housing. I had to pay for my food. But one of the things I also had to pay for was the maintenance of my car. Now, at that time, I used to drive a 61 Chevy Nova. The car was really, really old. It was almost as old as I was. But I didn't have a whole lot of money. So the only thing I could do was put oil in the car, right? And that's all I did. Um, I didn't even know anything about tune-ups, right? And so I just put oil in the car. And then all of a sudden, things started breaking down, right? And it's just horrible when you're out and you need to get somewhere and your car just breaks down. And the reason it was breaking down is the car needed more than just putting oil in. It needed a tune-up. And so basically what a tune-up is, is that's when we change like the filters, we change the fluids, you may rotate the tires, and then we have the major services that are conducted maybe about every uh, two years or 15, 25, 30,000 miles that involve replacing aging parts before they break. And we do this so cars can operate or run at their peak performances. So tune-up and maintenance is vital for cars to be running at their optimal performance. And, and we are going to start a two-part series on what it means to have a spiritual tune-up. Because we are the same way. As believers, we need to constantly be checking ourselves to see where we are, how we are doing spiritually. Because if we don't, then we are going to start breaking down. And and like my car, it broke down in the most inopportune times. And for us, a lot of times we see these spiritual breakdowns happen When things start getting difficult in our lives. When things are going well, when things are easy in our lives, hey, we're going along well, and um, we don't think, and we think we're doing okay spiritually, right? And, And so we really don't check ourselves to see how we're doing spiritually. And if we don't, If we don't, all of these maintenance lights or start spiritual maintenance lights are starting to come on, and if we don't pay attention to them, what happens when things start getting difficult? When we experience a crisis, this is when our spiritual health. Starts to break down. And our goal is to live a vibrant, healthy, spiritual life that reflects the characteristics of Jesus more and more each and every day. In order for us to do that, we need to constantly check our spiritual health. You know, I've been walking with the Lord the majority of my life, and I still have to do it. I will never be at the point where I could just put it on cruise control. I'll always, and I still... Need to constantly check my um, spiritual health, and so if you turn with me um, to uh, First John chapter two, verse one, we are going to start our um, part one of our series, the spiritual tune-up. And this is what John says, and he this is kind of like a review of last week. He says, "My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if everyone does anyone." Anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, John doesn't literally say that um, he's writing to this so we will not sin. Because we see in the um, previous um, chapter that he says, if we claim that we do not sin, we make God out to be a liar. Okay, so that's not what he's saying. But what he's uh, saying here is that He's encouraging us. He's encouraging us that God's forgiveness is available for all of us, all of us, so that we could learn from our mistakes and that we do not habitually walk in darkness. And that's what he is saying. And and so he understands that we're going to sin. And he says, but if anyone does sin, um, he's really saying if anyone sins and you will sin, we have an advocate In Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world. Because we see that Satan is the accuser. He is constantly revealing our sins to God. And demanding punishment. You know if we could picture this court scene in heaven. We have... um, Uh, Satan, who is kind of like the public defender, he's going for the judge and he's accusing us day and night and saying, have you seen Dave? Did you see what he did here? Did you see the sins he's doing here? Satan is constantly accusing us and demanding punishment from God. And that's what he does. He's our accuser. But Jesus Christ is our not only our Savior, but Jesus Christ is our advocate interceding for us by telling God that our sins are forgiven and that we're paid for by his sacrifice on the cross. So when Satan's accusing the children of God of their sins and demanding that God punish us, Jesus is on the other side saying, telling God the Father that they are not guilty. Their sins have been forgiven. Their sins have been paid for. So as Saint accuses us, Jesus is our advocate. And that's such a wonderful um, thing for us to know. Because a lot of us sometimes we function that like Jesus is actually working as our accuser. That Jesus is looking at what we are doing. That Jesus sees our sin and Jesus is ready to punish us. Demanding punishment. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Satan is accuser. Jesus is our advocate. So we have the Son of God watching our back. So we do not have to fear. So we do not have to be, uh, live a guilty life. So we don't have to be ashamed of our past. That we could leave our past behind. We need to learn from the lessons of our mistakes. Knowing that we are forgiven. And move forward. And that's such a burden that we could cast upon Jesus. And I know for us to live a vital, healthy life. We have to view Jesus in that light. But... John outlines certain things or certain aspects of our spiritual tune-up that we must pay attention to. And the first one is passing the test of obedience. Passing the test of obedience. And examining um, our obedience to Christ is the first diagnostic test. We need to run to see how we are doing spiritually. You know, John Calvin says, True knowledge of God is born out of obedience. And this is what John says. You know, how do we know God? In John 1 John 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. And we know that we have come to know Him if we comm- keep His commands. Now you notice how he says, we know that we have come to know Him. This is in an experiential way. He's not just talking about we know that we have come to know about Jesus. That we know a lot of facts about Jesus. That we know Jesus Personally and experientially, if we do what? If we are keeping his commands. Now, what John is saying is John is not teaching that obedience is, necess- is a necessary condition to know God. Rather, obedience is a result of knowing the God and knowing ourselves as sinners. Knowing that, you know, God. God's way for us to live our lives is perfect. Why? Because he created us. And we know that we all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. Right? And so God has a way for us to live our lives. And that is to reflect his character or reflect the character of his son to become more like his son every single day. And the way we do that. Is through obedience, but it starts off with knowing God and understanding that God is God, and we were saved sinners. And so the question is, what are His commands when He says, "If we keep His commands"? Well, basically, what uh, they didn't have the Bible. Back then, when John was writing this. So, when he was talking about keeping God's or keeping the commands or God's commands, it's God's moral commands throughout the Old Testament, the teachings of Jesus, as well as the teachings of the apostles. This is what you know John was talking about, and Jesus beautifully reduced it to what the great commandment we said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus reduced all of the commandments, both in the Old and New Testament, to loving God and loving your neighbors. And he said all the law and the prophets hang on that one commandment. If you could picture a door, the hinges are loving God and loving your neighbor. right? And the door, everything All of the teachings in the Old Testament, the uh, teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the apostle, they all hang on those things. And John goes on to say in verse 4, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. If we really pay no attention or no regards to his command, then there is a good reason for us to question if we truly know God and have eternal life. Okay? And this is why this is so important. Because eternity is at stake here. Because if we have no regard for God's commands whatsoever, we have good question, good reason to question Whether we truly know Him and have eternal life. And this is why these spiritual tune-ups are so important. But he continues in verse 5. But, he contrasts that, But if anyone obeys His word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we this is how we know we are in him. And this is a million dollar question here. Is how do we know we are in him? Right? And it's not just wishful thinking. How can we know objectively for sure that we are in him? And he goes on to answer that question in verse 6. Whoever claims to... <clears throat> Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And that's the answer to the question. If you really want to know for sure, with beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you know God. And this is after you have accepted um, Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the payment of your sins and become a child of God. Do you you want to make sure you know that you were not just going through the motions when you came to know Jesus Christ. That, that decision you made was true. It's right here. You must live as Jesus did. Knowing God and having fellowship with God must be expressed in how we live. Let me repeat that. Knowing God and having fellowship with God must be expressed in how we live. It's not just what we know, it's how we live. So how did Jesus live? What were some of his commands? And Jesus gave a lot of commands in telling us how we are to live life in his kingdom, right? And I'm just going to give you 10. The rest of them we see in the Gospels and who quoted by the apostles. But the first one is to remain in me. Remain in me. Meaning Jesus is the source of our spiritual strength, our power. We can do nothing outside of the power of God or the power of Christ. And we are to remain in him. Okay, we are are to keep ourselves plugged into that vine, which is what? Jesus. We're just the branches. He's the vine where we get our power, our nutrients, and our strength. And then he says, deny yourself and daily pick up your cross, Luke 9, 23. Basically what he was saying is, you know, now you are on a new mission, right? It's not about you. You need to deny your desires, your wants, and replace them with the desires and wants and dreams and passions of Jesus, right? And you have to be willing to sacrifice for him being a living like Jesus isn't easy. We're going to have to make sacrifices. We're going to have to pick up our cross daily, and that's what he says. He also says that we have to love God and our neighbor, and I've already explained that. But Jesus, if we want to live like Jesus, we have to forgive. Matthew 18:21-35 because if we don't forgive, what? God says I'm not going to forgive you. Now, we know our sins are forgiven. But what he says, if you don't forgive other people because I forgave you, that fellowship that we have is going to be fractured unless, until you forgive. He also says that we are to be merciful. We are to live as agents of Christ's mercy, Luke six thirty six. Go to the next slide, please. We are to repent from your sins. And this is one of Jesus' commands, meaning he came in to establish a new kingdom with new values and a new way of living. The old way of life, the old way that we used to live, we need to repent of that and replace our, the way we behave with the commands of Jesus Christ. Do not judge, Matthew seven eleven. He said, we are, as believers, not to think that we are better than other people and not to judge them. Because judgment is what? Reserved for God and God alone. We are to correct people, but we are not to judge them. Love your enemies. Luke six, twenty seven to twenty-eight. Seek first God's kingdom. Seek first God's kingdom. And this is what Jesus did. Everything Jesus did was to establish God's kingdom here on earth. And as believers of Jesus Christ, that is our primary focus and our primary goal. Is not to seek first our kingdom. Not to seek first our desires. Not to seek first what we want to do. But what? To seek first God's kingdom. And lastly make disciples Matthew 828 18 to 20 where Jesus said go make disciples of all nations as believers our goal is not just to worry about our own spiritual health it's not our spirituality is not individual we belong to a part of a larger body. And what is Jesus saying here? As we grow spiritually, it's not just for the sake of us to grow spiritually, for our own personal sake. No, it's a what? We could disciple others so they could become more like Christ. Now, these are just ten. You know, there are a lot more. And I encourage you to study the commands of Jesus, because that way you will know how to live Like Jesus. Obedience to Christ's commands is the pathway to becoming more like Christ. Obedience to Christ's commands is the pathway to becoming more like Jesus. Since we are created in God's image, the best way and the only way to live our lives is to live our lives becoming more and more like Christ himself. It's this doing versus being. Now, when I um, started my ministry, this was something that, uh, a concept that was talked about a lot in the 90s, where there was a concept of how we live our faith. Doing versus being, right? Doing was just doing all of the things on the checklist. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to serve. And our relationship with Christ was all about doing things, Right, doing things. And in one sense, that's a lot easier, right, than to start actually seeing the fruit of the Spirit being lived in our lives. It's easier to say, you know what, I'm gonna give and I'm gonna write a check and I'm gonna tithe, than it is for us to become loving individuals or patient individuals or kind individuals or have that self control, right? And so this is why a lot of times we get caught up into doing. Why? Because it's so much easier than becoming who Christ is, right? And... See, God wants to be in a relationship with us. It's because God exists in a perfect relationship within the Trinity between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a perfect relationship. And when God created man, when God created Adam and Eve, he wanted them to experience that same perfect relationship that they had with each other that they could have with, you know, Uh, That God could have with Adam and Eve. And that's why he created a man. And really when you think about it. He only gave Adam one command. And what was that? It says you could eat from any tree. You could eat from any tree. Except from what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? Because when Adam and Eve were sinless. They had this perfect relationship with God. The way God intended. But when Adam sinned. God set out to restore that relationship with him by teaching us how to live in a way that reflects his original intention. Now, unfortunately, this side of heaven, we're always going to be marred by sin. And that's always going to get in the way of this perfect relationship that we have with God. But as we live as Christ lived, we can slowly start to experience more and more of the relationship that exists in the Trinity. Because we know that our sins are forgiven, right? And this is why this is important. It's all about being. It's all about living a life in a way that living like Jesus is second nature to us. And I know I've given this example before, but it's like seatbelts. Because there's a time when we didn't have to wear seatbelts. And we protested wearing seatbelts. But now What? I think when we get in our car, how many of us think about, oh, we've got to put on our seatbelts. No, we just do it. And really, this is what Jesus wants from us. This is what God wants from us. He doesn't want this army of soldiers that say, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. No, he wants us to live a life where living like Christ becomes second nature. It's just part of our being and how we do this. And so the second um, test is that we need to pa- is passing the test of love. It's examining how, examining how we love is a sceptic diagnostic test to see and we run to see how we're doing spiritually. In 1 John 2 9 he said, and anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. So what he, he equates, hating our brother with living in darkness and love with living in, our li- living in the light. And so he goes on in verse 11, but if anyone who hates his brothers and sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness, they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And this is why we need to check how we are loving. Are we loving like Jesus loved? Because if we don't, we are just walking around randomly. It's kind of like waking up in the middle of the night and having to do something, right? And maybe you don't have nightlights and you're walking around, you're bumping into walls, you're bumping into boxes. Why? Because you can't see anything and you're groping around trying to figure out where you're going. That's your spiritual life if you don't love the way Jesus loved. And this is why passing this test is so important. Because if we don't, we are habitually living in darkness. It says, love is the ultimate characteristic of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Love is the ultimate characteristic of a disciple in Jesus Christ. John thirteen thirty four. A new command I give you, love one another as I loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus is saying, look, I loved you. I loved you. And since I loved you, you must love one another. That's a command of Jesus Christ. And then he continues, Verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How does, say Je- how does Jesus say that people will know that we're his disciples? Because we know a lot about him? Because we go to church? Because we serve in Sunday school? That we tithe? No. He said, people, the world will know that you are what? His disciples if you love one another. And even in 1 John 4, 7, later on, John says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Once again, what John is saying, you want to know if you know God or not? You want to know if your commitment was not just wishful thinking? If you really want to know if you know God, what does he say? If you love one another. It says, whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. He's saying, you know, if you want to know that you know God, you need to live as Jesus lived. But he also says, if you want to know that you know God and that God knows you, what do you have to do? You have to love. Because he said, if you do not Love God. If you do not love, you do not know God. In verse 9, he says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into this world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. God's love is different than the world's love. Because God's love is sacrificial. This is why he says in Ephesians five twenty five, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ loved the church. And he was willing to sacrifice his life so the church could be created. You know, Luke tells us that, in Luke 6, uh, Luke tells us that we are to love without expecting anything in return. We are to love without expecting anything in return. And in Acts 20, 35, um, Luke writes, Remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said himself, It is more blessed to give than to receive. God's love is sacrificial. Okay, so if we want to love others, we have to love others with that same sacrificial love that God has showed us. In John 4.11, he says, Dear friends, since, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We also ought to learn to love one another. And once again, this is the second test that we need to pass in order for us to see how we're doing spiritually is how we love. And in conclusion, how do we learn to love as God loves well, we see this in Matthew 5:54,44, Matthew 5:44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Have you ever wondered why Jesus put this in there? And he put this in there because he said, "Anybody, anybody could love those who love you." Anyone could be nice to those who are nice to you. You don't need me to do that. He said, even the pagans, even the sinners could do that. You do not need me to love those who love you. What is he saying here? That if you want to reflect the love that I loved you, that I show to you, if you want to live the life that I live, if you want to love the way that I love, you have to learn and practice loving your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. That's how you learn to love. We do not learn to love by loving those who love us. We do not learn to love by loving those who have the same values with us. And this is all about the election. And this is going to test our abilities to love the way Christ loved, right? Because before I was saying that we see people of the opposing party as our enemy. And people just are lobbing grenades back and forth, right? About the other candidate's policy, the other party's platform. But what does Jesus say here? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is a wonderful opportunity to learn how to love the way Jesus loved. As if we could love those in the opposite party. If we could support the new president even and the party even though we didn't vote for him. We don't have to agree with all their policies, but we need to pray for our new president. We need to see people as the opposing party. we have to love those in the opposing parties, whether they show us love or not, whether they respect us or not. And that's how we learn to love. And unfortunately, that's not an easy way to learn how to love. But that's the only way we learn how to love. And so once again, today we talked about passing the two tests. Um, next week, we're going to take a look at two more tests to see how we are doing spiritually. And today we had to learn to, we have to pass the test of obedience. And we have to pass the test of love. So what's a weekly challenge our weekly challenge is this. I'd like us to read 1 John 2, 1 to 11, two times a day. It's only 11 verses. You could do it. I want you to read it when you get up, but I also want you to read it before you go to bed. And when you read it when you go to bed, I want you to evaluate, evaluate your day or assess your day in light of John 1, 2, 1 through 11. How did you do? According to what see. How did you do when it comes to passing the test of obedience? How did you do when it comes to passing the test of love? Okay? I want you to read Matthew 6. And just choose three commands of Jesus in there. And then obey them. Okay? Obey them. And then take one action step to love someone in your life who is difficult to love. Take one action step in your life. To love someone in your life who is difficult to love. Can you do that with me this week? As I pray, as I close this time and pray, will the worship team please come forward and come forward with the communion elements, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that through your Spirit, you've given us the ability to obey you. And our obedience, Father, comes from knowing who you are for being grateful for sending your Son to die for us, that we can have a relationship with you, being grateful that you are our advocate and that you are not condemning us, but, Father, that you have our back and you are protecting us and defending us from our accuser, Satan. And, Father, I also pray that you will allow us to pass the test of love, To love as your son, Jesus loved. And Father, we thank you that you gave us an example of how to love. That we don't have to figure it out on our own. And Father, we know how to love because you first loved us. So Father, I pray for each and every person who's uh, listening to this right now. And Father, even if you're listening. For those of you who are listening and may have not made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Did, you know God created you, and this is the way He wants you to live so just try to do this. You may not know a whole lot about the Bible, but if you could just read open your book to where it says matthew, and then you 'll see Matthew and then there was a roman there 's a number six just open to that and read it and just try, just try to obey some of the things jesus um Said, and see what it does for your life. But once again, Father, thank you that we can know that we know you and that you know us, that we don't have to guess, that we don't have to worry about whether or not we know you. And Father, I pray for us, I pray for myself, that we would constantly uh, um, check our spiritual lives, to check our spiritual health to see father how we're doing spiritually to correct any areas where that need to be fixed and father to continue in the areas that we're doing well and father i pray that as we become more and more like your son jesus christ through our obedience to your words and your commands that our actions will be come second nature that we won't have to think about living like your Son, Jesus Christ, because that will just be who we are and how we live our lives. Thank you. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.